Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to E3 Church. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm so thankful for all y'all worshiping with us this morning and those who's joining us online. We have a question for you in just a moment. We're going to get to that moment. But first, thank you, Rex. That was a long scripture reading and it's strategic. I mean, he preached a sermon this morning. So thank you for, for great reading, number one. Um, but secondly, we'll, we'll refer back to the entirety of Mark chapter five. So if you have a Bible, your Bible apps, we're gonna jump around a lot, but I wanted to set the whole stage for us because it is an interconnected story. Now, before we get to that, question in the chat and question in the room. So think about this before you just answer. Would you rather prefer, when you get that owie, are you a Band-Aid person or a hug person, Okay. Band-Aid or hug on the chat, type it in, and we'll, we'll see what the online viewers say. In the room, are you a Band-Aid person? Raise your hand. Okay. I, man, I might have to count this one, okay? Now, hug person. Ooh. Okay, Band-Aids and hugs. And I don't like these things. Raise your hand right now, okay? They're okay. I see you. I, I know some of you aren't raising your hand during these questions, okay? I, you're caught red-handed, okay? Literally, you're raising your hand up in the air. It's like, here's, here's, here's the thing. Band-Aids are the universal heal-all for the children of my descendants. Lily and Zeke, they, they use Band-Aids like chewing gum, okay? It's just like everything needs a Band-Aid. Mysterious ailments, like I'm walking and all of a sudden I need a Band-Aid on my elbow. A few, a few years ago, uh, my, my, young, my older kids who are now, who were once young, you know, James and Evelyn, one time they got into a package of Band-Aids and I came around the corner and James had completely Band-Aided his entire side of his face because it was just fun to do. Band-Aids have ma- magical healings, but hugs also, and I believe hugs won, by the way. Hugs won also. And what's cool about this is that they bring about both different types of healing. Obviously, if I'm bleeding, you don't want to hug me. It's gross. You don't want my blood on your clothes. But there are times when I have a hurt that's not maybe visible that a Band-Aid just won't do. You need some physical touch, some sort of physical presence, as you would think. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about healing. And I want to be very clear that there's going to be times in this sermon that it's going to be very hard and very difficult to delve into this because healing is such a hard and wide-ranging topic. I want to highlight that some of the sermons that I do are playful. For those of you who were here last week, we did Bible Jeopardy, and the farm category was phenomenal, and I still can't believe John Stott knows what a hay thing, whatever it was. I just Googled some obscure farm machinery, and I'm like, no one will know what this is. Well, good job, John Stott. But this week, we're going to be much more serious because we're dealing with healing. See, friends, healing is mysterious, and many times it's misunderstood. And healing is also multifaceted. I want you to be careful to hear what I'm saying in the sermon and not what I'm not saying. And if there's any confusion, make sure to ask for clarity. See, friends, I'm giving away the punchline to the joke here, or I'm giving you the end of the sermon right at the start. But I would invite you with a journey with me in coming that we all have baggage when it comes to the aspect of healing. Some of us have been healed. Others have watched others who were not. And in our baggage is that sometimes it seems unfair. Sometimes it doesn't feel right. Before we jump into my story, looks like online, we're not going to ton of traffic on this, but I think online we're looking at hugs. I think hugs, uh, hugs all day, hugs. And uh, uh, Darren O'Dell, thank you. Give me that hug, bro. You got it. I got a hug coming for you. Personally, I need hugs now and then. I'd see, I, I deal with type 1 diabetes. 
And as a type 1 diabetic, I've dealt with this since age 5. Right now, I have a pod. i got to find it. Here it is. It's an insulin pod. And over here is this little thing that tells me what my blood sugar is. And friends, I'm as healthy as an ox if you ask me to do anything. But it also makes me pause because I have this ailment that I've never been healed from, even though I've asked several times from God for that healing. I've understood suffering and pain, been feeling totally alone, and just plain angry that for whatever reason, I have this disease. Based on the website Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, I found out that in plugging in information, I've had over 100,000 blood glucose tests on my fingers. Give or take, probably 100,000, I don't know. 80,000 shots. It's a lot. But not all pain is equal. And because I have this pain doesn't make my pain better than yours. My necessity for healing somehow greater, nor does it make it less. But we see that healing in the Christian faith makes people a little frenetic, out of their mind. The last time I preached a sermon on healing was at a church in our denomination from a place in Nebraska, and I had no idea about anything about this church, but I thought, hey, we'll talk about healing. It'll be nice and fluffy, and I won't go too far down any road because I just don't know the people. And so I picked a passage out of Luke and preached what I thought was a great sermon, only to find out the end of the sermon that a person who was a regular attender and a regular member came up and stood about this far away pre-COVID from my face and said, we got to talk about your sermon. I'm a professional healer. And we ended up talking for almost two hours about his vocation in which I found out that the amount of money that someone would give him equaled the amount of healing he would give to the person. Yeah, he needed healing from the black eye I gave him after that statement. Just kidding, just kidding. I would never fight with violence. I would never do that. I'd never do that. But the temptation was there because an anger, a spiritual anger, bubbled up inside of my gut saying, this guy's so off base, he needs to be put in his place. I was not able to do that that morning either, but the point of these stories is to illustrate that healing is very subjective, very multifaceted. It's more complex than we can ever anticipate. Now, before jumping to conclusions, getting upset, or feeling alone through Scripture, I ask you to walk through with this topic and this passage that Rex read together. So let's start with Jairus. Jairus is the first character we see in this chapter that uh, Rex read. And if you're more interested in the prior stories, come Tuesday nights to our Mark Bible study. Uh, I know that Pastor Mike will be going through the other passages in this uh, chapter. But Jairus is the first person, and he needs a specific type of healing. He needs emotional healing. He needs a healing as a father of a child who is sick needs. He needs and asks for physical healing from Jesus. Jesus obviously looks and says, okay, I'll come. But Jairus is from this group of people called the synagogue rulers. They were laymen whose responsibilities were administrative, not priestly, and included looking after the building and supervising worship. Jairus jettisoned all dignity and pride as a person who worked at the church of the day and comes to this itinerant preacher who's already made enemies with the rulers of the day and falls at his feet and says, please help me. Healing sometimes means giving up all of your sensibilities and throwing everything to the wind. But the passage is interrupted by another story. Mark, who very, gives very odd details sometimes, and at other times such important details that you know this story isn't manufactured, has this woman 
who all of a sudden pops up. So verse 24 is we're going to pick up here. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet her suffering had no relief. We see that in these verses, that this woman all of a sudden bursts onto the scene, asking for healing, pressing around Jesus to the point where people are touching him, we are assuredly nonstop. Again, pre-pandemic. But the point of this is, the point of this is, is that this crowd wants to see what's going to happen. Where is Jesus going? What's going to happen to this synagogue ruler's daughter? Can he save even her? Probably, we see in these chapters and these verses, based on medical expertise, this is probably some sort of uterine disease that causes the bleeding to happen. But the point and the problem is, is that when one bleeds in Jesus' day and culture, you are unclean. She would not be allowed in these doors if we want to find a comparison. And so all social and religious gatherings, she was banned from, she was barred from. And so for her to have the audacity, as we saw in the opener, won't back down, to come into contact with Jesus with his superstitious belief, sees that this woman needs healing. See, this woman, who we don't know her name of, we don't know much of anything about her, needs physical, social, and spiritual healing. We see that she's exhausted all of her resources, and she is ceremonially unclean. At once her faith, even though mixed with superstition, was rewarded. But Jesus is harsh with his response. Who touched me? He asks. Though Matthew and Luke tempered this some. He wanted to make personal contact and let her know that it was her faith and not her superstitious belief that caused God to heal her. It's interesting that somehow she knows instantly that she is healed. But isn't that interesting in long-suffering when you know that a subtle change means a big impact? In verse 34, the word that Jesus uses to describe her is daughter. It's the only time he uses the term in all four Gospels. He calls this woman who has had long suffering, 12 years of suffering, daughter. And the word healed in Greek is the same word for saved. Here we see that physical healing and theological healing are both in Jesus' mind. And in Mark's gospel, the two always go together. And then he says the great Hebrew word shalom, which means go in peace. Peace not just from the freedom from the inward anxiety, but the wholeness and completeness of life that comes from being brought into a right relationship with God. And then Mark brings back the original story, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Again, faith seems to be some sort of part, port how about a part? A part of this healing ministry that Jesus is doing. More on that in a moment. The point I want to focus on right now is that as a father of children, to hear that your child is dead, we easily just gloss over that. Either because we all know the end of the story and what happens, or many of us just say, well, that can't be it. That can't be the end. This woman who was bleeding interrupted them. She's the cause of this. She's the villain. When in fact... We have no details from Mark, which he had just died anyway. 
Jairus must have felt so alone. And also the crowd as well. Here, this crowd who has seen Jesus do numerous miracles, who's already in four chapters of Mark, reoriented the entirety of the Jewish religious system. Here, they see that somehow he's just a little too slow or unable to do a miracle from long range. The daughter needs healing, friends. But also, that crowd does too. See, there are times where groups of people, families, and even church congregations need mysterious and holistic healings in their lives. When they find and go to the daughter's house, we see that there are mourners outside, and Jesus eschews all of them out saying, get out of here. In Jesus' day, they would actually hire people to come and mourn as professional mourners. And you come and sing songs of wailing. You would come and, and pray and come and just talk in this room as a physical person mourning for the death and the loss of someone that you loved. And some of us say, that's psychotic. But then there's some of us who say, that's amazing. Because I need that for the people I've lost in my life. I need someone to be around me who would walk alongside me. They also call this, this idea of sitting Shiva, which means that you come and you sit with someone who's lost someone, and you let that person who's had the loss say the first word. And so there are stories in Judaism of people sitting silent for days upon days, weeks upon weeks, even months of sitting Shiva, waiting for the person who is lost to utter a word. We see that this daughter needs healing, though, friends. Not just from death, but the expectation of death. That death somehow is always the end. All roads lead to this point. We see that Jesus only brings in the three chosen disciples who will come back to week by week by week. These three seem to be on a higher echelon. They get to see things that the others don't. And it's interesting that Jesus picks these three to be the leaders of the upcoming church. But we see throughout this chapter that the ways in which healing is needed is varied. When we delve into the chapter, we let the chapter speak to us. The father needs familial healing. He needs healing from his hierarchy mindset that in his day and age, a young girl would not be on the savior of the world's to-do list for healing. Women had a secondary role to men. So Jesus should be healing all the men first and then the women. No groans. Right. Jesus, again, reorienting, causing those who are on the outside to be insiders. We see this woman who was shunned by society, who needed physical healing, who had gender shunning as well, and was worried about her cleanliness, completely reoriented and healed. And then, of course, we see the big one, that Jesus resurrects this young 12-year-old girl and restores her soul in one phrase, Talitha kum. What we don't see in the story is the response necessarily of the crowds that have gathered. But friends, if you had someone that you have loved and have lost, and all of a sudden they are raised back to life, wouldn't you go shouting that in every one of the streets in this city? Wouldn't you go on top of the Capitol building with a loudspeaker and just scream as loud as you can? They're alive! 
So what is healing? It's based upon your paradigm, the way in which you look at life, when in fact, healing is much larger than that. So I want to give us four takeaway statements as we interpret this pastor, this passage. Excuse me. Number one, healing is holistic. Healing isn't just taking a hand, a pancreas, a mind, or a soul and restoring it. It's all of the above. The problem with the 20th century, although the 1900s brought us many good things, is that we dissected humanity into different quadrants, into different segments. There's the physical part of me. There's the emotional part of me. Wait, emotional is in here. There's the, 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 the thinking side of me, although that doesn't seem to be clicking on all gears in the moment. And then there's this thing called the soul, but whatever. The soul's weird. We're not going to talk about that in the 1900s. And in all of these, if there's something wrong with one segment of who I am, then I'm going to pour all my resources to stop and help that. If my pancreas doesn't work, well, then I need to find doctors. And yes, you do need doctors for pancreases, friends. But you also need a hug. You also need a community of friends. You also need Jesus to find true healing for what ails you. Everything is interconnected in who we are. And sometimes healing is a direct pill you have to take, maybe five or six, over six days, maybe every single day for the rest of your life. Sometimes it takes 12 years, though, to find healing. The wonderful thing about our society is we're so patient for everything that we do, right? (laughs) Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing friends, takes years. And usually when you find out that you have an ailment, it takes double the amount of time, just a rule of thumb, nothing scientific or biblical about this, usually takes double the amount of time to find healing from what ails you. All four of these categories change, and they always don't go the way we want them to, which brings to the next point. Friends, healing doesn't make sense. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense in our minds. All five of the, in, or all the people in chapter five are ritually unclean based on blood or death. And the role that women play is an interesting intersection of this chapter that maybe Mark puts these two stories together to illustrate that women have an equal place in men in the new kingdom of God. Or maybe it was just that Jesus was sending this to his disciples as the message saying that both a young girl who's 12 years old and a woman we don't know how old but has been suffering for a long time, both deserve and need healing. But friends, healing doesn't make sense because it's mysterious. And often it takes a paradigm shift. For a long time, I saw God as a vending machine. A12, I need a healing. B17, I need a new car. But I found over my time that God's more of a personal friend to walk alongside me. There's times where I thought God was some sort of miracle talisman that if I said the right prayer or did the right thing or whatever, that somehow I'd be healed. But instead, God is a life transformer. I always thought I was not worthy of God, but now I see that God seeks me, the unclean, just as much as he wants the holy of holies. Do you see God as an object of anger? Or do you see God as a personal comforter? Do you see God as an object of indifference? Or do you see that God, through Jesus Christ, is willing to die 
for you. The mysteries connected to the holistic side, sometimes our soul is healed while other times our body isn't. Sometimes our family is healed while other times I am not. But the mystery is, is that it doesn't always follow our Western minds. Which leads us to the next point, number three. Healing takes time, discomfort, and faith. What we need to do is see healing larger than the sickness or illness that is needing restoration. Just like that woman, we need to go beyond what we think is okay and what others direct us to have faith in, beyond reason, and reach out to Jesus. And just like Jairus, we need to burst through for someone else, reach out, and ask the one who seems unable to give what we need and help the one we love find wholeness again. It may not be in this lifetime, but to heal the whole body, we must align our whole selves with a heavenly mindset. And sometimes, sometimes, again, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying, pain is a necessary item to bring about a better life. See, friends, pain is not always a bad thing. Without enough time to get into this topic this morning, know that we worship God who is not distant from pain and who does not understand what you desire for healing in your own personal paradigms. Friends, we understand and we serve a God who knows pain so well. Look at that cross. He understands the pain of this life tenfold that what many of us have gone through. And even if you've gone through in your calculus that I, oh, I've, I've had worse pain than having a nail through my hand or spear stuck in my side, even if you're on that level, he understands it at least. And not some far off deity like a kid with an ant farm. He wants to bring healing to each and every one of us. Holistic healing and healing that lasts. Lastly, number four, the amount of faith does not equal the amount of healing. Is faith an instinctual moment-by-moment response or is it some sort of muscle that's been honed and defined over a lifetime of having faith? The answer is yes. Both are true about faith. And while Mark writes in a way that thinks, at least it appears to the reader, that having faith somehow equals healing, that's not what I believe Mark's trying to illustrate. It's to illustrate that to believe in Jesus Christ means that healing will come to each and every single one of us. Earl Ellis, a Bible commentary, sums up theological meaning of this miracle that Jesus did. Like his younger brother's sickness, see friends, death is the true enemy but it must yield to the powers of the messianic kingdom present in Jesus Christ. In the presence of Christ, death becomes only sleeping. We have ultimate hope in a God who will resurrect us all. And to apply this, I have a question for you this morning. Are you an agent of healing or are you an agent of decay? See, friends, I'm not a doctor, but I can heal one soul. I'm not a doctor, but I can relationally help someone who isn't healthy. I'm not a doctor, but I can meet someone where they are after the year of 2020. This is not to undermine the work that the healthcare industry does. No, in fact, thank you, healthcare workers, for your selfless work and your tireless working to help heal our entire world but I want to illumine the fact that all of us need healing in various facets of our lives. And to be an agent of healing means that you return to that centered set 
imagery that we've been using week after week after week. That when you are an agent of healing, you unknowingly bring someone closer to Jesus Christ. It may mean just reaching out and saying, hey, let's grab coffee. I want to relationally pour into you and bring healing to your relational needs after being isolated for so long. For some of us, it might mean physically donating blood or helping those who are sick or ill in various places to find greater health. For some of us, it might be to spiritually help heal someone's soul, that they may have views of God that don't jive with the Bible, and so to pour into them by revealing the true God, Jesus Christ, you can bring healing for their eternity. And for many of us, it's healing by just allowing us to be presence of the deity who is Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to welcome him, Jesus, literally into ourselves, symbolically through bread and juice, but more importantly, theologically, by allowing the Holy Spirit to transform what are just common elements into me expressing my faith through such a, 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 a beautifully physical act of taking communion and allowing Jesus into us. We'll invite you to come and to try to maintain spacing as much as possible as you come down the aisles and then return to your seats and to take both bread and a juice cup and then to stay seated and hold those elements as we'll take them all together after the song. This isn't some sort of magical formula that somehow brings healing, but this is an act in which healing can stem through your works and healing can come into you and make beautiful things however wherever you come in this place right now at the square table to my left there's gluten-free bread and we ask that you again try to maintain as much spacing and politeness as you can to your neighbors and then at one point we'll all remove our masks and take the elements together right now I'd invite you to enjoy this song to sing along if you feel led, and to come to Christ's table and accept the meal set up before us. Please come.